Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Brutally Honest Podcast. I am your host, Harrison Byron, and thank you guys for coming and hanging out. Sorry the podcast is a little late. For some reason, uh, this is like, I think this is numero uno of my Zoom podcasts. So uh, at the end of the show or at some point in the show, uh, good, bad, or indifferent, I, all, I need you all who are listening to do me a favor. Go to BrutallyHonestPodcast.com and let me know what your thoughts are on the audio quality of the show. Now, it's a great show, I'm not going to lie, I, I had a lot of fun on this one, uh, but the reason why I'm saying this is because I need to know what you guys think about Zoom uh, Zoom podcasts. Uh, this is the first one I'm releasing, but not the first one I've done. Uh, I have about four or five other ones that um, I've been recording, and I'd like to hear your feedback on them. More so the audio quality than anything, that's really what I'm concerned about. Um, and if I, I need to know if I lose the human interaction from zoom, I had a great time on this one. And I honestly, uh, I vetted everybody that I've done a zoom call with. So I don't want you guys to think, Oh, you know what? This is, you know, I'm scrambling or whatever it is. I just wanted to try something new. I wanted to bring you guys some experience that I can't find locally and, or, uh, or experience that's found elsewhere. So that's the whole goal of this entire thing. So I need you guys to help me out. Let me know. Go on BrutallyHonestPodcast.com. Submit a little thing. Or visit me at BarrowMediaGroup.com or whatever out or Instagram. Whatever you guys want. And let me know what your thoughts are. Uh, I, had a, I had a blast on the show. And that's really it. I just That's the favor I'm asking from you guys uh, in the opener. And, you know, if you guys want to check it out, obviously, BrutallyHonestPodcast.com. The YouTube channel is now live. All podcasts will be uh, going forward on YouTube unless they are not done on video. And that's pretty much it. So I need your help. I need you guys to give me good feedback on this. So that way I can tweak, adjust, modify anything like that going forward for the future. I'm not sure if I'm going to continue doing these Zoom calls. I'm still thinking about it. I, I've liked them so far, but it, I, I'm not in the same room with the other person. So... I need your feedback on it uh, because you guys are the listeners. You guys are the ones that uh, let me know your thoughts on it. Some people have already listened to it and they said they loved it, so I said great. But I just need some feedback from you guys uh, on it. And that's pretty much it. I'm not going to bore you guys with anything else. Uh, my guest today is my friend Rihanna Milne, and she is a love coach. So uh, I've never heard of this before. It's very interesting. I learned a substantial amount of information in this uh, this period. She is a wealth of knowledge. She uh, gives some amazing advice and thoughts and things to look out for, and an, an amazing experience, right? There's a part of the podcast, and my favorite thing in the world is getting to meet people and see things that I normally would not get to see otherwise um, or hear about otherwise, and this is definitely one of them. Uh, she has a tremendous amount of life advice that she applies to everybody that she works with, and I value that. She is truly an expert in what she does. It's phenomenal. I'm super happy uh, I had her on uh, otherwise. But like I said, just let me know what you guys think about the Zoom call. That's it. Um, other than that, without any further ado, please welcome my friend, Rihanna Milne. Hey, Rihanna, thank you for uh, for joining in with me today. Appreciate you being here. Hi, Harrison. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. 
Hey, anytime. So uh, one of the things that I think fa- I found most appealing is, is you're in something that nobody else has done before. So I guess before we get into the, the depth of it, uh, give people a broad brush stroke of what you do and who you work with and all that kind of stuff. Sure, sure. Uh, well, I was a psychotherapist for 20 years in private practice and decided to do the coaching model. I got trained in 2009 and 10 with RCI, Relationship Coaching Institute, and through working with many people of trauma over the years and having an own, my own traumatic relationship occur, I did some research on what my partner might have had that made us sabotage, which was really an amazing love relationship. And I knew he was what's called ACOA, adult child of an alcoholic, unfortunately had a horribly alcoholic father. Um, And there were other traumas. So looking at his traumas and the traumas of the people that I worked with, I put together the childhood trauma checklist and started making correlations between being childhood trauma and difficulties in love relationships, career, Uh, life in general, having high anxiety, bouts of depression. And I said, you know, this is so fascinating, this topic that I want to specialize in this. And then a couple of years later, I came across the ACE study, A-C-E, which Mm -hmm. stands for Adverse Childhood Events, done by Kaiser Permanente Group out of San Diego with the CDC, Center for Disease Control. And they did a large study with over 17,000 people on how childhood trauma impacts adults later in life with early illnesses and disease, like heart okay. disease, diabetes, uh, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue. So their research was really awesome in solidifying what I saw, but I just took the other areas, which was life and love and mm-hmm. how it impacts people there versus the disease component. Sure. So it was very timely that our work about the same time and came out about the same time. Very cool. And what, what was like the key factor in you saying, hey, this is what I want to do and this is what I want to help people with? Because this is pretty unique, I, w- I would say, in, in most cases. Yeah, it's very unique. It's finally getting out there. I love that Oprah Winfrey was the host on 60 Minutes doing a, a study on childhood trauma. And she goes, I have never heard of this. If I would have heard of this years ago, it would have made a a lot of sense for my life because she did grow up with a lot of childhood trauma herself. So that is, you know, started to bring everything out in the open as as well as the ACE study. Interestingly enough, the ACE studies checklist of childhood trauma was different than mine. Mm -hmm. And through the years, CDC added more components to their list that mine had in my original list. I thought that was interesting. But it was my own love trauma that led me to the research and finding the answers of, again, my partner saying and doing things that sabotaged our love relationship. And I had to make sense of that. Sure. Um, So that led to my healing. And then it led to my using my work. My studies helped my own therapy clients. Sure. And that's what led to me wanting to specialize in it because it was really transforming a lot of lives once I had the information that I needed. It not only worked for me, it worked for my clients as well. Sure. So uh, what a, uh, I'm, I'm very curious. When a client works with you, what are they typically getting? Like, how does that whole process work? And is it, do you consider it recovery? Do you consider it care do you consider it a lifestyle change like what what do you consider it and what do you think it or what and what do you think yeah, they think it is it's definitely lifestyle uh change i don't call it recovery because recovery is more term with addiction 
studies addiction work. I am an LCADC2 licensed certified drug and alcohol addictions counselor. So that, you know, you hear recovery and addictions. And I wouldn't call this addictions. I would call this, it's definitely unconscious behavioral patterns that become normalized due to the fact that people use them in childhood for mm -hmm. coping strategies, you know, to survive, to get along with their mom and dad, a difficult father who's yelling and screaming or, you know, a cold critical mother, you know, you have to find ways as a child with your little innocent mind, how to get by, sure. you know, and exist within your family. So um, it is a lifestyle change. I also teach the mindset for su success. Mm -hmm. So my courses are 50% life coaching and 50% love coaching. And the combination along with the mindset for success, we look at all life areas. So not only, you know, relationships, but family relationships, love relationships, if they're single dating, having more success in dating, choosing an emotionally healthy, evolved and conscious partner, not someone that's toxic that's going to cause you heartache, yeah. um, you know, getting along better with your children. So that's parenting skills, maybe going for that career you always love, but you always held back and stayed in a job that you don't like because you were afraid to take risk. So all these fears and this negative mindset is wrapped around unhealed traumas. Gotcha. So uh, I guess let's just jump to one end of the extreme spectrum here is like, what, what is the worst thing that you've had to deal with as far as a client goes? If you're even allowed to say it. Well, I would never say a name, but um, I would say all my clients usually come to me with very high anxiety, low trust, bouts of depression, um, many people being in a long-term marriage, 23 to 30 years with a lot of emotional abuse, some physical abuse, um, definitely one partner is very toxic and abusing the other. That's normally what happens. So I do work with singles uh, that might have love addiction, know the partner is unhealthy, but can't seem to leave them. They seem stuck or they leave and they keep going back. The studies show people in these types of toxic relationships go back seven times before they're finally done. Really? Um, they're always hoping for the best to recreate the beginning of the sparks of fire that these relationships usually have. Sure. In the beginning, they're very uh, passionate and sensual and a lot of high attention and love and gifts. So they're always trying to recreate that beginning. And usually four to nine months in, or once the relationship becomes either exclusive, moving in together, engaged, marriage, or a child comes, these transitions usually escalate the behavioral patterns and can make these relationships toxic. Gotcha. So when somebody keeps going back, you know, that, that average of seven times, how do you help them break that cycle? disengage. Well, that is a form of addiction. It's called mm -hmm. love addiction. Sure. And that's usually well, someone I'm sure that that most of us are guilty. No, not most. Uh, really, there's 10 traumas I talk about. If you'd like me to go into them, that, that will make sense as we come up with, you know, the whys this is happening. Mm -hmm. That does come from trauma number six, which is abandonment, but there's two types of abandonment. So I'll go into that. 
So you're, for your listeners, I'll go into the top most common childhood traumas. There are more of them. Mm-hmm. These are the ones I see most people. And studies show 90% of people have at least one to three items on this list. Mm-hmm. So if you're curious, if you're one of the 9%, we kind of, 90%, we kind of have a little joke. The other 10% are sociopathic and we'll never admit anything's wrong with them. So sure. it's like, oh, okay, so there's probably one to three that you might find that qualify you. Um, but as you make this list, there's three columns. The first column would be me, if you fall mm-hmm. into that situation. The second one, you put a partner, someone you might have struggled with in your past. And the third column, you put parents, um, because studies show that this goes through at least three generations, if not more. So you could say mom, dad, or both as I go through the list. So remember, as I go through the list, also, this is not about shame or blame. Uh, We're not looking to blame anyone for what had happened when you were a child, because again, if you had trauma, they had trauma and they're doing the best that they knew how. And it's not about feeling ashamed that you might've gone through these things because Mm -hmm. again, this childhood trauma happened to you or within your household, there was nothing you could really do about it. So we're trying to look at it as a factual list. Okay. So when you were young and innocent, did any of these things happen? One, the first, if your mom or dad had any addiction. Now the Kaiser studies came out. If your mom or dad used drugs or alcohol, well, me being addictions counseling and working in adolescent rehabs and women from the prison system that were addicted. There's many more than two addictions. So I name 11 drugs, alcohol, sex, and you knew you had a cheating part uh, parents, porn, gambling, hoarding, spending, eating, gaming, watching workaholism. Now there's 11 I definitely got some of those. That's for sure. (laughs) That could have taken precedence in your life when you were young. Okay. Second is verbal abuse. Kaiser studies mentioned if you see mom or dad yelling at each other in a verbal abusive way, I name others. So um, when I was working in a hospital setting with people who were adolescent, they came in, you know, suicidal eating disorders, cutting, you know, addictions. So verbal was like hearing, never hearing, I love you, or never hearing compliments or never hearing, you know, good job, son, I'm really proud of you. Instead, they might hear verbal put downs like, you'll never amount to anything. You know, why pay for college for you? You know, you'll never use it. You know, just derogatory put downs. Or the other thing could have happened is uh, verbally shutting down if they were mad at you. Uh, in a passive way, aggressive way. So they went to for a couple of hours or a couple of days if they were mad. So those are all forms of verbal abuse. Number three, emotional abuse or neglect. We pretty much know what that is. Number four is any physical abuse, beating or hitting, um, sexual abuse, rape or molestation. Those could have happened inside or outside of the home. The next one is abandonment. And there's two types, fault and no fault abandonment. So no-fault abandonment is if your parent might have died early. Another one is if your parent went off to serve in war and you're always wondering as a kid, is my mom or dad okay? Are they coming home? That anxiety, okay, of that abandonment. And another no-fault abandonment is if your parent traveled a lot and that was their job to take care of the family. 
And that was one of mine. And uh, my dad, we didn't know it, but he was FBI and CIA. So my dad was like James Bond. Mm. But I do remember as a little child saying, when's dad coming home? And my mom would never have an answer. She didn't know. So that was a lot of anxiety for a kid. So a fault abandonment would be a parent that chooses never to be involved in your life. That's one. Um, Or leaving when you were young age, divorcing or just leaving the relationship and not seeing you much after that. Or saying they're seeing you being very inconsistent in those visits, leaving the kid always wondering, can I trust that they'll show up today or on time? And the last one might be, sure, they pick you up, but they kind of ignore you the whole weekend. They're in front of their football games and the kids in their room just on the computer like saying, when can I go home? Because sure. they don't feel any loving connection there. So that's a, those are fault abandonments. Okay. Sure. The next one, number six, would be if you were part of a foster care system, if you were adopted or had to live in other people's homes to be raised, even if that's grandma or aunts or uncles or family friends. The next one, number seven, is the most common. I call that personal trauma. So that's if you've ever been bullied or if you didn't feel like you fit in. You might have been an overweight child skinny and gawky child, which I was as a a preteen. You could have just been considered different. You might have been diagnosed ADHD at school. um, So you didn't always feel like the other kids or might have had asthma. So you can be part of the sports teams or the cool kids. There's so many different ways you might have felt different and not good enough or didn't fit in. Okay. Trauma number eight, we call sibling trauma. This is if your sibling bullied you if they were born with some kind of medical condition that commanded more of mom's and dad's time to take care of them, or more commonly, you perceive them to be the golden child. For some reason, they may have been the one that um, were more handsome, more beautiful, more successful in the athletic teams, uh, more intelligent in school. Just something that made them seem more special. Sure. You know, trauma number nine is two parts. The first part is family trauma. That's if the family uh, lived in a dangerous neighborhood. If you remember a lot of discussion around lack, poverty, we don't have enough money for whether it's food or things or a nicer home, Um, maybe losing the home during the mortgage crises and military families moving every two to four years. um, Sure. that puts the child as always the new kid in school. So there's Constantly many types the of family kid. traumas. Yes, yes, that's difficult. And then the second part of that uh, from the later list that I brought up, because it's really now one of the top tens, is community trauma. And that would sure. be our school shootings, our mass community shootings, um, our mass destruction of our communities by Mother Nature, our floods, fires, hurricanes, volcanoes. I mean, there's been so much of this lately in the past years it's becoming overwhelming there's always another natural disaster um so of course this is hard on the family and adults but can you imagine little children living through these episodes very traumatic and then the last one would be mental health issues in mom or dad and the most too difficult to live with is bipolar and borderline borderline i describe as fast trigger anger moodiness you never know what you're going to get. So when they're good, they're great. But when they're bad, they're really horrid. Sure. Um, very inconsistent, leaving a kid very anxious. 
And then bipolar is manic and depressive. So depression can come out as anger, um, checking out emotionally or extreme fatigue. Manic could be like a spending spree, a gambling spree, eating binge, or it could be a happy episode as well. Sure. Very confusing for the children. Yeah. Very interesting. So, yeah. so, so I would say that probably, I feel like everybody, you're right. I feel like everybody would fall into one of those categories. Mm-hmm. Did so, you have any of those, Harrison? Oh, absolutely. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. But so now when, when it comes down to those things, your, as your job goes, when, you know, somebody, I guess, is realizing these things, they go to you, you know, what are your next steps? Like, hey, you know, uh, we know that you had childhood trauma. Like, what, what do you do to resolve that? Next step is really the deep dive, the analyzation. Um, I have them talk about it. The more they really start recollection of the stories, they can then rate those incidents at one to ten. Sure. Nine, ten being very severe, one, two being the least severe. Sure. That would be an example of a kid being beat three times in their life and they hated it and they remember it versus a kid being beaten three times a week. Sure. Okay. So you can see the severity levels could be very different. Um, people that are nines and tens in eight to 10 areas of trauma tend to be sociopathic. You know, sociopaths are people that use others for pleasure or profit to get ahead in life uh, with no remorse. They never apologize. Um, Low empathy for people, you know, taking advantage of others for their own gain. Sure. Um, They usually have a lot of those traumas. And then the psychopath is a sociopath that kills. And it's usually 10 and 10s all the way around. 10 traumas, 10 level, level 10s. so that's a severe end of it. And then there's the way that it shows up in life, love, career. So we can go through all three areas if you'd like. Yeah, why not? In life, yeah, in life, you know, you said, how are these people when they come to you? Usually, like I said, I see ongoing or high anxiety, bouts of depression, um, relationships that aren't working out. You know, they want love. They want love in the worst way. And when they do, they fall in love with chemistry, biochemistry. Mm-hmm. And it's really scary because on dating sites, you see all kinds of men saying, must have chemistry first. And the chemistry takes you right back to your childhood because sure. the psyche wants to correct and heal what happened in the past. It's also attracted to what it knows. Mm-hmm. So that's why these, you know, people of trauma attract people of trauma. And sure. initially they're, like I said, they're very sexy, passionate relationships, but then it starts getting toxic about a half year or so in when some of these things start showing up when there's more commitment. But let's go back to some individual traits that could show up. So let's say someone who's a habitual liar, where does that come from? So lying comes from, it's a form of manipulation, but it's if they're afraid as a child of being punished. So this might be the little boy that comes home with an F on the test and says, oh man, I got to get this signed, make it an A and see if I can get away with it. Well, if he does, he finds out lying works mm-hmm. and it gets him out of the beatings. It's a survival skill. It becomes sure. a coping mechanism. And when he does it so many times, it just becomes a normal way of being, a normal way. And they don't even consciously think I'm lying. And this will be the person's like, why are you lying about that? That's like a, not even a big deal that you had to lie about. Sure, that. but they're just so you know, used just, to it. 
they're so used to it, it becomes normalized. So that's where lying comes from. Let's talk about control and jealousy. That usually comes from trauma number seven, not feeling good enough, not feeling worthy, not feeling pretty enough, handsome enough. You know, you might've been called the nerd at school and you're in a love relationship. Um, let's say it's a woman and the man gives her all the reasons why he loves her, but she, you know, they might be out together and he's just going around the room and he'll say, she'll say, why are you staring at these girls? Or, you know, do you want to be with that girl instead of me? You know, so that's that jealousy that comes up. And though consciously she knows her man loves her, unconsciously she may be afraid she might lose him. And unfortunately, it usually goes too much jealousy and control. You do end up losing your partner because sure. your partner is emotionally stable. They don't want the jealousy and controlling partner. Now, let's put it in a business situation. A lot of my typical clients is successful women in business but they struggle in love. So, you know, where did that come from? Maybe trauma number seven and yet being yelled at at home. So she goes, well, I'll be smart at school. So she would work really hard to get good grades and found that it felt good to be successful or the teacher's pet, right? To get mm -hmm. the good grades. And she might hear the compliments finally from mom and dad. Oh, you got a good report card. Great. You know, and that was a way that she could get some love. So she learned to work hard to be successful. And another reason is to get out of the house. It's mm. like, I'll get into a good college. I'll get out of this house, right? So they learned to become successful, but they never healed the emotional trauma that happened at home. Mm -hmm. So they're still attracted to the old dynamic of emotional love that was dysfunctional. And they end up with a partner that may be, um, not as successful as them, but they might get a lot of love and adoration early on. Mm -hmm. And this is why a lot of business women may attract a sociopath. So this guy may charm and manipulate her to do everything that, is, that she would want in an ideal relationship. Sure. You know, that's the guy that wants to marry the successful woman very quickly. Um, this is very well de depicted in a docuseries called Dirty John. And it was a true story of a female architect, uh, really nice woman, great mom, successful, worked hard, faith-based woman. And this charming guy swoops in and, you know, wins her and then wants to get married within three months. He was like the classic sociopath. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he ends up trying to kill one of the daughters and, you know, very much isolate the mom from the kids because the kids kind of could see early on something's wrong with this guy. Sure. You know, a lot of his stories didn't add up. Mm -hmm. So this happens to more successful women than you realize. Um, and the first signs of that is jealousy and control early on. Um, so, you know, those women have to be very, very careful. Um, impulsivity that comes from someone not having a lot of things when they were young and saying, I want this. I'm an adult. I deserve this. Oh, that's me. And sometimes. Uh Oh, that's not <laughs> And sometimes this can add up into conning behavior, um, you know, and this is where you see on American Greed, these stories of these businessmen and financial managers taking advantage of people. I want the wealthy life. I uh, want no, I just, big when it comes boats to Amazon, fancy cars. Amazon one click buy is the worst thing in the world. Ah, uh, <clears throat> okay. <laughs> well, this, this is a form of impulsivity that can hurt others. Okay. You know, so... Yeah, you want to be really careful of that. Um, or, of course, being with a partner like that because they could put you into a lot of debt. 
Mm-hmm. You know, um, they could hurt you in many ways, not only hurt themselves. And impulsivity actions, you know, is what happened with my partner. He was doing something very impulsive at his job, got fired, became a big community scandal. So not only did it ruin him, his salary, his reputation, and he ran away from town. He couldn't even face the school board, uh, but it ruined my life. You know, not only emotionally, but my business and everything else. And it was a lot of healing that I had to do and from that love trauma. So impulsivity can really, really ruin relationships. This one is very common for women. It's called people pleasing. Um, I'll give you an example. So if this little girl has an alcoholic mom who's very difficult to deal with, the older sister might get up and get all the kids up ready for school, make their breakfasts or lunches, get them to the bus stop because mom is angry and hungover and doesn't want to deal with it. Sure. So she will overdo to keep peace in the household and feel a little bit of love and appreciation from that mother. Sure. So this woman gets used to overdoing for everyone. This is very often when I have a couple come in, the woman says, Rihanna, I'm a completely exhausted burnout. I try to do everything to please everyone. My, my husband, my kids, they never do anything for me. So then I usually know this is a people-pleasing situation, might have that difficult, critical mother-father there where they were trying to keep the peace. So whatever comes up in their life, their love situation, and I can hit on business a little bit, business scenarios where this could show up, they're the difficult employee that demands their own way or wants to like puff out their achievements and try and show everyone what good they're doing. Sure. Because they maybe never got compliments from mom or dad. Mm-hmm. So they're vying to be better and seen and known in the work spot, okay, which makes them difficult to work with. Sure. Or it, it could be someone um, wants to be their own entrepreneur, but is staying in that job that they hate because they're afraid to make that jump mm-hmm. from traditional nine to five to start their own career because they don't believe in themselves. They don't have enough faith or confidence that they can do it on their own. Um, you know, that is feeling from trauma number seven, not feeling good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, or even people, there's a lot of actors that have what we call imposter syndrome. They really do well, and then they start sabotaging themselves or their career. They might be partying too much or drinking too much or saying, why am I winning these awards? I'm just someone that wanted to do anything. You know, why me versus everybody else? And they struggle with their own success levels. So those are just a few examples of how this can show up in career. Gotcha. And then like what people are typically showing that, like, so I guess take me through the coaching process, right. Of, of, you know, somebody realizes, first of all, how do they even find out about you through this? Uh, They hear me on podcasts. I do a lot of summits where I'm one of 20 or 30 experts speaking on a particular topic. And I do men's summits, women's summit, parenting summit, I just did one for an HR firm, uh, a summit, you know, speaking to employers. So I'm all over the place because this just shows up all over. So somebody hears me and then they hire me out for a live or virtual speech or a summit. And that's how they hear about it. And then they recognize in themselves that they need some help. Sure. So, yeah. I got you. And that's how they first hear about me. And like I said, I primarily have women, but I do have a lot of men that have unfortunately been at the hands of a sociopathic woman. And, you know, they lost a lot of money or they took advantage of them, or it might've been one of the foreign brides came in, got married for status and then took them for all they 
had and left, you know, so there's a lot of scenarios that are showing up and we call that, you know, the love trauma piece. Sure. But that's how they hear about me. So very interesting. And then when they, and then when, when they say, Hey, you know, I want to start working with you, what does that typical process look like? Yeah. The first process is I'd really like to do a deepest as far as what level of service they would need. So that's called a life and love transformation discovery session and assessment. So I have them do four of my assessments, the Q and a sheet, and I spend an hour and we dive deep into the 10 traumas, which ones show up for them at what level, how that's showing up currently in their life today. And then I'll give them a little challenge to work on within the week. And then we meet up again and I said, well, how'd that work out for you? You know, I recently given that to someone who talked a lot about their illnesses. Mm-hmm. I'm not feeling good. Da, 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 da. And I said, you know, you've said that a lot during this hour. Do you speak about that a lot around your family and your, your children? She goes, yeah, but I think I'm pretty positive about it. I said, I just want you to be, have conscious awareness around that for the next five days. And then I, I want to meet with you again and tell me what you think. Mm-hmm. And she goes, well, I was going to complain again. And, and then my daughter says, you know, how are you feeling? And she said, well, I'm feeling, um, I could answer a different way, but I'm choosing to be positive. So I gave her a positive answer. And I said, that really wasn't a positive answer. I said, kids are brilliant. I've worked with kids from kindergarten through college. They know that saying, well, mom's really not feeling well, but I'm just going to choose to say a positive answer. Means something negative, yeah. She goes, yeah, you're right. I guess that did come off to her as negative. I said, so you're building in your child this anxiety, always asking, is mom okay? You know, she needs to feel security that her parents are okay and going to be around. Mm -hmm. So this was an unconscious behavioral pattern that she got from her mom, always worried about her mom. You know, so it's very interesting how it can go through the generations. So that's one pattern that we would be working on to stop for her. So these come out in a discovery session. And um, then I say again, what level of service, I have anything from three months work need to six months, which is called the diamond level. The diamond level does have text access, full email access to me. So my VIP is a very high level of service. Mm-hmm. I can only take a few people at a time. Sure. Um, and that way they're, they're getting, you know, top-notch service. And then they're a 150-page notebook for the diamond level. And they fill out the notebook as they go along, give me the answers. And how they answer them is how I know to coach them. Gotcha. So it's very personalized and very interactive. So I describe it like a rainbow. They start at not knowing what they don't know, which is a very frustrating place to be because I'm there. I don't know why he did what he did when we had such great love. Like, why would he do this? And he goes, I have no idea. I love you and I ruined everything. And I always ruin everything in my life. That was his answer. And I said, well, I'm going to figure it out. And that's what started me on my journey. So not knowing what you know, not knowing. And then it's going up the rainbow with education. So you do better, but then you'll slip. And then you do better, and then you'll slip. But eventually you get to that other side, which is full um, conscious awareness and a positive mindset for success in all life areas. Plus the skills you need to be a good partner in a relationship, 
you know, if somebody wants to talk to me about beginning their career, we do career coaching. If they want to be a better parent, we do parenting skills, whatever it is they want to work on. If they want to meet and have better friends, work on that. So um, that's the other side of it, where there is that pot of gold of feeling amazing about yourself and your life. Gotcha. That's pretty cool. I like it. It's very good. It's, it's amazing. I, that's why I love what I do, because everybody's uh, their own puzzle, mm -hmm. their own story. Uh, but there's some solid techniques over six months that we do. You know, some people need some, some don't need others. You know, it really depends what they're presenting to me. Sure. And then that's uh, how I would guide them. Now with this, do you, is, there, is there like a common theme or like a geographic theme that you see? So for example, you know, maybe in New York, people are experiencing something different than people in Florida or, you know, the West Coast and, and yeah. things like that. Is, is, is there like segregation like that? Well, I am only limited by the fact that I speak English. Sure. So I work with people who are English speaking all over the world. For example, I have a lot of people in Canada California, Oregon, the West Coast area, um, some in New York, but all over um, the States. Uh, people in Australia are clients. I've had people out of London and Paris, uh, someone from Greece. I think one of my most interesting stories was a girl from Lebanon who grew up with severe 10 trauma in community and family trauma. She grew up in the war. And she says, oh. when we went to bed, we didn't know if we were waking up alive every day because we'd hear bombs going off all night long. Oh, my God. So talk about high anxiety. And, um, and then her father wasn't in the picture much since she was a little girl. She idolized him. And then he died when she was young. Like he started coming back a little bit more when she was a teenager. And then he, he was killed. Mm -hmm. um, so now we have abandonment issues of the father plus an early death, both a fault and a fault abandonment. So whenever she met a man, she held on very tight and really wanted love. And she wanted the, the man to be perfect and love her perfectly. And if he didn't, she'd be disappointed and then upset, you know, so there was a lot of trauma around this fear of security mm -hmm. and the abandonment piece. Sure. So, um, yeah. So now when you work with somebody like that, are you like readjusting their expectations or, yes. you know, walking them through things? Yeah. What is reality and what are the, um, too high of expectations? Um, she also had what we call false negative assumptions mm -hmm. where she assumed they're doing something wrong and blame them before she even knew why they were late. Sure. You know, I think he's out with talking to another girl. Well, that's a false negative assumption. Sure. Uh, you find out what went on. Oh, you know, I'm sorry that meeting I had went over board and he's calling, I'm just leaving the office now, blah, 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 blah. So she realized that she assumed the worst, you know? So yeah. this is the negative mindset, a fear-based mindset. Most of my clients have fear, negative-based mindsets. So they always go to what's wrong with my life or what's negative in my partner versus what's great in my life. And I'm so grateful for my partner, you know, sure. and what's going well in my life. So that's part of that transformation uh, that we really work on that mindset. So important. And then, and then when you're doing stuff like this, um, you know, readjusting and stuff like that, like what do you consider success for these individuals? Like what does success um, look like? 
Yeah, I have several videos on my YouTube channel with my clients talking about how their life totally changed. And I'll give you a story of a younger girl um, named Amy. And she was 18 when I started working with her, going from high school into college. And her story is public, so she wouldn't mind me sharing her story. Um, She... um, she wasn't sure where she wanted to go you know, into college. She was in community college. She didn't know what she wanted to study. She was a host at a fast food restaurant. Mm-hmm. She was dating someone 16 years older than her who was the dishwasher. And her mom was scared to death. She's going to go nowhere fast, especially if you know, a baby would have happened out of the result of this dating relationship. And she was very bright. She was a very nice girl, bright girl. But there were some things going on in her life. And one of them was abandonment from her father. Second, um, she was a girl who was adopted. She was an only child. Sure. So uh, in the first couple of years of her life, she had her biological mother um, was drug addicted. So there, in the, her very early bonding years as a baby, there was not much bonding or security there. Mm-hmm. Then when she was adopted from these parents who were really nice people and Um, As the marriage went on, unfortunately, the father had an affair, left the family. So here's another abandonment for her. Mm -hmm. Now things started escalating and she started getting angry and she and her mom didn't know why, but I knew within the first hour of meeting her, her mom had met somebody new Mm -hmm. and was very happy and, and consciously she was happy for her mom. She met someone, but she didn't like the guy and she was mad at her mom and having a lot of fights with mom. Mm-hmm. unconsciously what was happening was she was losing the only piece of security she knew her mom to somebody else. Mm-hmm. So she saw the other woman pull the father away. She was afraid this man would pull her mother away. And she's in this other transition of in college, not knowing what she wants to do. So there was a lot of changes right there and it all escalated at once. Sure. So we took, so she came to me with high anxiety, not sure she wanted to work with a Skype counselor or a coach, a coach, I should say, I'm not counseling anymore. Um, and, I, and she said, you know what? I'll give it a try for my mom. What's the worst that can happen? I'll learn something. And she says mm-hmm. that right on the YouTube uh, interview. And then later she says, you know, Rihanna, you totally changed my life. Sure. We got her keyed in on what she would love. She decided she wanted to be an interior design architect. Um, so I said to the mom, I want her to quit that job. So we had her quit her job. So her grades went up the term that I got her, which was fall term. I said, by Christmas, we'll know what you want to do. And you're going to go out and get a job right before the holidays when they're really hiring. So when we knew it was going to be home design, I said, what's the best home store, you know, that you would love to work in. She goes, Oh my God, there's one I love to go in and look, it's a high end decor store. I said, you're going to get a job there. She goes, they hire me. It's like, oh, yes, I will. <laughs> so interestingly enough, she did get the job. She loved it. A couple came to her that was on one of the TV shows for flipping houses, which she wanted to do. She says, can I come by and maybe look around and intern for you and help you out? She got that. Mm-hmm. She knows what university she's going to. She got in there and she just said, I'm so excited about my life and where it's going. Um, and she re- recently met someone at school who's also going to the same university next year, who's in engineering. So her whole life just totally changed within six months. Sure. And, you know, that's a great story. And like I said, everyone comes to me with a different situation and they don't always know why their moods are so crazy and all over the place. They don't sure. really understand it. 
So it's when I really do the dissection of the traumas and the levels and their stories mm-hmm. that I understand where it's all coming from. And then gotcha. we work on changing it together. Yeah. Gotcha. Awesome. That is that that is awesome. It really does sound awesome because I I guess a lot of people they go through um you know periods of their life when uh you know things are uncertain and uh myself included um uh, the the nice part is uh I I have a very survivalist mentality where um you know when when th- bad things happen people think the worst immediately and it's funny because I when stuff like that happens to me, I'm like, well, I'm not going to die. You know, if I lose an account at my company, I'm like, well, I'm not going to die. It's money. It'll come back around or I'll find more of it or whatever it is, you know? So there's always these, these different things, but you know, some people, they just freak out about it and then it's just getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, Yeah. Well, that's security piece and being afraid to risk uh, usually comes from lower confidence, lower self-esteem, um, maybe seeing success comes easier for some people than themselves. Um, you know, life is full of challenges. So it's really important that we do get comfortable with taking a smart and calculated risk and sure. then enjoying the journey as we're working through that. Mm-hmm. And I always say, well, what's your plan B? You know, if this one doesn't work, what's your backup plan? And then what's your backup plan from that? So, you know, you're always if you're not growing, you're dying. That's a quote from Tony Robbins that die. I love. Yes. So, you what know, you won't keep growing and challenging yourself. It's those people that stay in that typical nine to five job that are dying of boredom. Mm-hmm. They're not doing anything they can perceive as fun or challenging life. So it's the ability to be able to, to take on risks and challenges and feel confident about it. And even if there's what people, some people would call a failure, we just call it a lesson learned. Mm-hmm. Okay, this came up for us. How should we look at it differently? It's not working. Does this mean, you know, the universe is saying I'm going down the wrong path? And if so, what new path can I choose? Mm-hmm. And we don't beat ourselves up for it. It's just, okay, new direction. Let's sure. figure out something else I would enjoy. So it's, it's uh, really nothing shakes you too much unless you're maybe in harm's way, you know. Sure. Um, as you said, is, is death looking at you in the face and that would be scary for anybody. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. Um, you know, it's, it's just funny because so many people just think the absolute worst in so many different things, you know, and and most of the time, you know, chances are pretty good. You're waking up tomorrow. Like, you know, if today's a crummy day, go home and, you know, uh, stop doing whatever you're doing and go do something else and take the rest of the day off because uh, not even some, you know, yes, mental health, but two, at that point, especially if you're an employee for somebody, you're not adding, you're not helping the company in any way. Go home. Yeah. Relax. Re, you know, rejuvenate, reset your, reset your mind. I love meditation. I tell everybody, uh, you know, if you're not meditating, Yep. You know, if you, if you, if you're stressed, you need to meditate regularly. If you're not yeah. stressed, it, it could be happen less frequently in my opinion. Yeah. All my clients meditate every day for 15 minutes. We do something called divine spiritual meditation and there's four steps to it. Um, very important for them. Uh, it brings in gratitude for what they do have. So they're starting each day recognizing that. You oh, know, that's good. 
I have November, I call it gratitude month, and this is gratitude week with Thanksgiving. But for me, gratitude month recognizes, uh, begins with the veterans and our civil servants on Veterans Day. Uh, for mm-hmm. me, starts Gratitude Month to the end of November. Sure. I come from a military family. My dad was a colonel in the Air Force, and my nieces and nephew all serve. So it's just stopping and pausing and saying, plus, you know, I'm a world traveler, Harrison, so I've been in a lot of countries that don't have freedoms. You know, so even coming home and saying, I'm so grateful for my Western toilet. <laughs> now, where in Indonesia, they sure didn't have many of those. That was like a rare commodity to find that. So um, just being thankful for the little things. You know, my put, daughter puts in water wells. And in Tanzania, they didn't have warning water. They had to work five miles for a bucket of dirty water to use throughout their day. You know, so when you're affiliated with things like this, you have a lot of gratitude about the everyday things. Sure. And I think that's really important to start your day that way. Yeah, people don't realize how good they have it. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's wild. Now, uh, now, what happens if a relationship is, is too good or, you know, oh, I, I'll use the air quotes of perfect, right? Uh, why do things turn toxic, you know, once they get more serious or just been happening longer well that's been, that's that time frame from the research like four months into nine months to a year when things start getting more serious so these are when you hear people say i found the perfect partner mm-hmm. you know women's like i've got a guy that texts me all the time he emails me he brings me gifts you know he's really like love bombing her is what we call that and sometimes that can be a red flag if it's too much too soon you know uh, like in the Dirty John story, she goes, wow, he loves me so much. He wants to marry me within three months. It's like, no, watch out, <laughs> you know? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, be careful. Um, and again, they can do everything perfect up front, but they're kind of really working on being that perfect person. Mm-hmm. And then humanist sets in. Now, you know, every relationship will have issues, but unfortunately they didn't teach us in school or in college you know, how to communicate in a healthy, conscious way. Um, you know, if they, if they would have taught us humans how to be more consciously aware and talk with more negotiation, what's best for the team, the couple is a team. Sure. What's best for the couple, not me, 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 I want this, I want that. You know, that selfishness that tends to override a lot of relationships. And when two people don't get their own way, and nobody's willing to compromise or sacrifice for the good of the team, it can mm-hmm. often fall apart, right? Sure. So, and then with the regular, uh, the, some toxic behavior set in um, that weren't showing up in the very beginning because everyone's on their best behavior the first 90 days, we call it the 90-day rule, then, you know, you have to take your time with the relationships, grow it slowly, um, some of the biggest mistakes for women is getting intimate too early and men are expecting this today. Why? Cause women are doing it. Why? Because they have low self-esteem and think if I get sexual, then I'll win this man. Gotcha. And very often they get sexual. The man leaves. Thanks. Um, next, you know, so, you know, there's so much to educate both women and men on. And even my men that want a quality relationship, I work with men looking for a wives that'll be a great partner and a great mom for their kids. These are men that want marriage and children. And I said, well, don't get intimate so soon. Give it time, nurture the friendship, ask a lot of questions. 
Now, part of my coaching is asking, you know, very letting them know the very empowering questions they have to ask while they're out on the first few dates to find out if this person is right for them or not. Can you tell me some of those questions? Finding out if there's emotional trauma that has not been healed. I mean, most people go out on a date, they drink, they just go and have fun. They don't think twice about what they're doing. That's the normal date. We date, we call it conscious dating. In other words, our people are consciously aware of what's going on while they're dating. I mean, one example would be a simple question. Tell me about your mom and dad. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty simple question, right? Sure. So my people know what to listen for. Here's an example. I had an older woman out meeting an older guy from a dating app. She said he was very handsome, seemed charming, helped her with her chair. You know, would you like something to eat? Did all the right moves. He asked the first question. He goes, well, you know, I kind of struggled with my dad most of my life. He was an alcoholic. And, you know, what? Um, so she asked, well, was he a good alcoholic? Was he fun? Or, you know, was he a mean guy when he drank? She goes, he was pretty much the mean type. You know, a lot of yelling and screaming, sometimes hitting me. Now, how many traumas have come up in the first few sentences? Three. Sure. Right? Okay. So then he goes on, but, you know, he finally quit when I was a teenager and he seemed to have a lot of remorse and he stopped drinking. And we kind of healed that as we, he got older. And, I, and she said, well, you know, that's really good, you know. He goes, my mom, ah, she's a different story. She's in an old age home. If I didn't have to visit her, I never would. Mm. She was a drinker too, never really stopped. Critical, always put me down. So now you've got how many unhealed traumas. Sure. And, and what I would define in my Love Beyond Your Dreams book, I go into 14 different personality types that can break your heart. And she recognized, aha, he's a mother hater. Someone that hates his mom will never respect his woman. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you know, she asked a few of the other questions, but she knew right after that one, like she had anxiety in her gut. And, and when you heal ongoing anxiety, anxiety comes up on a rare occasion. It's a sign saying, you're not in a right place right now. Sure. <laughs> so she knew this guy was not going to be someone she wanted to date. Even though she was handsome, our people know who cares about looks that's the icing on the cake. We sure. care about who are they as a person? Who are they on the inside? We want the cake, the substance. So she just knew there was a lot of unhealed anger there mm-hmm. and she didn't want to deal with it. So after the day, you know, she said, thank you, went home. And then um, she's called and she said, you know, it was really nice meeting you, but I don't think we're quite a match. And I really would like on the search. Then he starts yelling at her. She mm. goes, there it was, you know, and sure. she goes, thank you. Obviously you're upset and I don't, know this conversation needs to continue. And she hangs up on him, which I would have instructed her to do. And that was it. And she blocks her num- his number. So, I mean, it, it, what she suspected became clearly evident, you know, mm. so a female rejected him. Right. So and now what, what would have happened if he, if she rejected him and nothing happened he was just like, okay, sounds great. See you later. Would that she still felt, no, she still felt gotcha. that her intuition was, this one's not for me. Gotcha. And dating's a numbers game. You know, you have to date a lot of people to find the match that you want. And it's not only analyzing, you know, are they emotionally healthy? It's do you have the same vision for the future? You know, if one is a skier and one loves the palm trees of Florida, that's probably not going to be a very good match. One wants to retire in Colorado, one wants to retire in Florida. So do the same vision for your future. You know, if, 
when I work with my younger women, you know, she might be someone that says, I definitely want marriage and children. So one of her first questions are, so, you know, are you a man that sees yourself wanting to be married one day and have kids? And if he answers, well, yeah, I'll probably marry kids. Mm, I'm not sure. I guess if she really wants some, I'll have them. That's a no answer. Sure. And my girls that really want kids would not continue dating that guy. Gotcha. Because you can't convince a guy who really is like mm, uncertain about kids. Yet I have men that I've coached who says, I definitely see myself as a dad. And, that, you know, the, the men that my daughter's married said that answer. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I definitely want kids. I couldn't pitch in my life without being a dad. That's sure. the answer you want. Sure. You see, so you have to know what you want, your requirements in your life. And usually there's six to eight of them that you're answering, you know, asking questions around, around your requirements. And requirements can be silly. Like I had a gay male that I coached and he's there. Well, if this partner does not love dogs or my kids, there's no way we'd work out. Mm -hmm. I don't care how hot he is. I'm like, okay, perfect. That's what very equipment's. Sure. You know, so it can be silly. Must love dogs. Yeah, Mine but that's, is must you know, that's important. You know, it's important. Yeah. Activities. You know, if you're someone that loves boating and your person uh, always is getting seasick, then that's not going to be a good match for you. You know, I love music and dancing. I was a competitive disco dancer in my young days and still love dance. <laughs> if I had a guy that just sat there like a lug and didn't like to get up and dance, that would not be the one for me. Uh, I'm a lug. <laughs> I'm a lug, not a dancer. No, you know, but you know, even if a guy says, well, I'm willing to learn and he's 60 and I'm like, well, he hasn't learned his entire life. And usually they'll appease a woman for a couple of dance classes, but it's not something they really love themselves. Sure. So you want to make sure, you know, you have enough fun. Yeah. But you also have to see, you also have to make sure that, that that's important for you though. You know, it is. Yeah, um, it's important for you. Yeah, because some people might be like, hey, you know, at least I can imagine some people like, yeah, it'd be nice if they like dogs. But if they don't care for dogs, it's not a make or break. If they don't want the dogs around in the world tra travelers, then yes. that's going to be a problem sure. in their relationship, sure. right? Well, I don't want to put the dogs with someone. You know, I don't really want to go away for a week to 10 days to the Mediterranean, so like for me, I'm a world traveler. My guy has got to like being a world traveler, mm -hmm. right? Instead of being, well, I just want to go camping up in the mountains. That would be the one for me. So it comes down to knowing your requirements, what you love in your life, having that life already for yourself and picking that partner who is a match for you. Do you also coach people or, or kind of set realistic expectations as far as like saying, hey, you know, there's there's the requirements and then there's the positives but not mandatories yes yes the requirements are one thing they're non-negotiables mm -hmm. like a non-negotiable for me would be you know must not have an addiction mm -hmm. someone that has an addiction issue i've worked with people with addictions i don't want a partner that has an addiction sure um right so uh that's a non-negotiable the the desires or their wants could be um uh, I don't know, a woman that says, I prefer my man has her, but she meets a guy that has everything else and he's bald. She might say, who cares about that? I love everything else about him. Sure. Right. You know, so, some men are you like picking, Are you picking on me? Might, you picking no. on me? <laughs> it's just an example of a lot of women in my age category. They sure. have these 
must-haves. And I say, like, really, is that that important if this perfect guy in every way else, you know, again, you're going after the icing, the cake is there, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so look, and, some people you know, are going to want like, their cake and eat it too. You know, yeah. They want the whole you thing. Know? It might be the guy that wants the blonde, but happens to find everything perfect in the brunette. Like, can he settle? And I don't want to use the word settle. It's the wrong word. Can he see that the other girl is just as beautiful? Right. Sure. So, yeah, that's around expectations. <clears throat> I gotcha. So what does an emotionally healthy person look like? What does their relationships look like and all that kind of stuff? Well, an emotionally healthy person um, is someone that is um, more peaceful, you know, very happy in their life. Their life areas are settled. They're financially secure. There's not debt. Um, they're not anxious. They're not. We must depressed. be talking about people they're outside not... of New York. <laughs> I don't know. Hopefully, <laughs> there's healthy people in New York as well. I'm sure there are. <laughs> Um, you know, people that are drinking for stress every day, sure. um, they're able to roll through the punches, you know, look at life in a positive way. Um, the studies show that the happiest relationships are spiritually based and I'm not talking religion. I'm talking about a sense of spirituality, mm -hmm. which people are, I'm, I'm, I consider myself self-spiritual. We are 24 seven. That's just part of who we are. You know, we do what's right for ourselves and for others. We have high integrity. Um, you know, we, we enjoy the little things in life too, right? Sure. So we have gratitude about life. So if you're a happy person and content, that's the type of person you're also looking for. Someone who's emotionally balanced and happy in all their life areas. Good, long-lasting friends, um, you know, able to talk through their issues. There's never a reason to yell at your partner unless your partner's in harm's way. Mm -hmm. You know, if the car's going to hit them, then you say, hey, watch out. You know, then you yell, but never around an issue. You know, you learn to communicate through your issues and, and have a discussion on what's best for the both of you, the team. Sure. Now, mm -hmm. in, in a perfect world, does a perfect relationship, do they just click right away or is it, do they still even have to work through things? You always have to work through things because issues will always come up. I think that's really realistic. Um, I do teach my couples that they should have this philosophy of it's you and me against the world. Mm -hmm. In other words, putting each other first. And um, in previous generations, they always put the kids first. The kids' activities, five sports, taxi driving them around to everywhere to the point where they stop dating each other. There's no time for the couple and then what happens when the kids are out of high school the couple falls apart because they haven't taken that time quality time for dating and romance for themselves mm -hmm. and you know i had one husband in my office well why do i have to keep dating her i married her i said you still want sex and he goes oh okay <laughs> it's like yeah get her out of the house dress nice for her take her somewhere nice sure you know it doesn't have to be an expensive fancy dinner take a walk on the beach and buy a glass of wine afterwards and have a conversation. Tell her she looks pretty. You know, when a woman's in her house, you know, she finds things she has to cook, clean, or do. And her mind is in it in an intimate way. Mm -hmm. Men and women are very different when it comes to their sexual makeup and their desires. Most people don't know the man's sexual center of the brain is seven times out of a woman. Did you know that, Harrison? Yes, I did know that. <laughs> You did. I did. Congratulations. I did. Thanks. Most don't know that. 
Okay. And so they're like, yeah, sex, let's do it. And a woman makes love with the brain first. So she needs her five senses engaged, you know, taste, touch, sound, be able to relax, not think about her to do, you know, where she's um, socialized to take care of everyone else and herself last, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So the man getting her out of the household so she can just relax and focus on herself and him and each other is more apt to have a nice intimate evening later than just, you know, watching the 11 o'clock news, turning off the TV and saying, let's have sex. Well, no, she's not ready. She's not engaged. Her senses are, I'm tired now. I want to go to sleep. So, and now that begins to feel like a chore for her. I can hear the ladies applauding out there. It's like, yeah, (laughs) say that, you know? So get your ladies out and, you know, start treating them special as if you were dating them again and keep the dating going throughout your relationship. Gotcha. And, you know, to both the women and the men, keep yourself up. What did you Mm -hmm. look like when you met? Of course you're going to age, but do you still dress nice for partner? You know, ladies do your hair and your makeup. Men, do you, you know, shave and, you know, wear cologne as you did when you first met her? You know, so, I mean, who are you and who are you presenting to your partner? Mm -hmm. And so many people get lazy in their relationships and then wonder why there's affairs or it falls apart. So, you know, you have to stay engaged. Um, I also talk about the balance triangle, Mm -hmm. you, me, and us. Mm -hmm. So one leg is the man where he has his career and maybe, you know, his exercise gym or bike riding and then his time with friends and she has her exercise yoga and work and her time. And then there's us. And us is that time uh, that you spend together. Those vacations you take just the two of you put the kids with somebody else, those date nights, making sure you invest equal amount of time in the us. And that's usually the leg that usually gets short or they put the kids in there and then there's no time for us. And I got to say the millennial men, um, I'm I'm talking about my two son-in-laws and I see their friends. They have, the men have really stepped up to both parents and I really commend the men on doing that because most women's have careers today and they're out there working so with both parents working, you know, they have to be equal partners in the household with cooking, cleaning, and the kids. You know, my generation, the 70s, we, the, the women had to do it all. You mm-hmm. know, the men did their nine to five job. The women did their nine to five job. Then the women's cooked. Then the women bathed the kids and got them to bed, you know, did everything, the grocery shopping, everything. And then the men's like, okay, you want sex now? No, I'm exhausted. You know, they've been working a 15 hour day. Sure. When the men come home, they sit on the couch, watch TV, and their day was completely over. And it's like, okay, serve me my dinner. But that was the 70s. And uh, it's funny, there's a male psychologist, Terry Real, that says, unfortunately, the baby boomer men have not really changed much. But he did say all his studies around the millennial men, they have really, really stepped up. And he believes that's because they watched their mothers suffer so much and see the marriages fall apart. Sure. Because a woman said, you know, God, you know, this is difficult. I have kids and a big kid, you know, husband. Sure. So, um, so that was interesting, his study. And I, I did see that myself. The millennial men are really pitching in equally with household and parenting work. And that way the couple has more time together as well. Sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's pretty wild to see the shift. That's for sure. I've, I've, I've been watching uh, Mad Men lately. I don't know if you've ever seen oh, it. Oh, that's a great series, isn't it? 
Uh, it's funny because a lot of people, yeah, that's what I've, that's what I've heard. I've heard it's a very accurate depiction of, of what it was like back in the day. Watching my parents, I saw a lot of that. You know, my father wasn't a drinker, but you know, the, the, even the TV shows that we grew up like Ozzie and Harriet, the men walk in the door, they get their martinis served by their women in the happy housewife dress, you know, and they felt as long as they were giving them the house, the house in the suburbs, they should be happy, even if Mm -hmm. they didn't come home at night, you know, or they had girlfriends or wives were just supposed to deal with it and raise the kids in the suburban house. It, that's very much the way it was in my parents' generation. Sure. And then by the time I got to be 20 and going off to Penn State um, for broadcasting, that was my major, um, you know, we were expected to do it all. Now the woman has to do it all, you know, mm-hmm. and the men still held male privilege. So that, those didn't create very happy marriages either. Yeah. Gotcha. Jesus. Interesting. Yeah. Very. Mad Men is very interesting. It it's just it's it's an incredible flashback to to the history and um you know that uh, it's obviously not the most accurate TV show in the world but it's still a great depiction of what it was back in the day. Yes. For um, sure. And they do a really good job at replicating a lot of things from the 70s everything from the cars the clothing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I, they did I have, great. I have a lot of a lot of kudos to them for that. But um you know when when so i guess my next question is when when some let's just say that like spark dies amongst people what what is the next steps that they should do or they can do themselves to help it get back on track well they have to have an open mind to keeping sparks going you know i always say halloween's one of the best uh occasions for couples to go out and have fun you know go put on costumes and role play don't go do something spicy go to fantasy fest in key west you know there's plenty of things you can do Uh, it's a full week of halloween parties oh my god it's, it's really a great time for adults um you know go start traveling the world and and make love in beautiful places you know don't allow your lives to become stale create mm-hmm. different things you know if camping's your thing go take a weekend and do a romantic camping trip somewhere you know you can always do something you know pick up a hobby you can do together you know so Fair always trying to get fresh and changing and growing sure. now do you think that people change over time and and it is appropriate for people to move in and out of long-term relationships or do you think that it should just be set hey this is the one way we're doing it and that's it well i just love my brother and sister-in-law that have been married 36 years you know and they have a beautiful relationship um and you know my brother grew up with the same type of traumas i did where my father wasn't in the home and he and i actually uncovered that he was having an affair when we were very young kids Mm -hmm. so he took it to the point where i will never do this to my wife and so he a good out of the bad and he's been an excellent father and husband Mm -hmm. um and they have a very loving and fun relationship and i adore them like my sister-in-law and i are sisters and, you know, I very much admire the man that my brother is. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are determined no matter what they're staying together. And when you see marriages like that, where they are fun, they travel a lot. And then my brother rides motorcycles. So he has what he calls brain flush with the boys for 10 days. And now 
she takes, you know, their, their son on a cruise, you know, when they have sure. that time. So, yeah, I mean, the, they, they keep their life fresh and fun and exciting together. And then they have their separate time, but you know, there's a very high love and respect for each other for, for sure. I gotcha. Um, so it really depends. I mean, I, that I, ideally that's the best for the children, of course, to keep the marriage together. But the studies also show if the relationship is struggling, it's worse to stay in a toxic marriage over time. Worse for everyone. Mm-hmm. It's better to divorce and have, you know, one emotionally healthy partner. If the other one is not healthy, at least the kids have one stable parent that they can, you know, count on. Sure. And who's got them and, you know, raises them in the right way, you know, so, um, Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. What else? What else? Don't do you got stay long term relationship if it's toxic for sure. Sure. What do you, is, are there telltale signs to get out immediately? Hit that eject button or any kind of emotional abuse, uh, verbal put downs, control, jealousy, demanding, uh, making you feel less than, yelling, screaming passive aggressiveness where they shut down and don't talk to you, punish you with quietness. And remember your kids are witnessing all of this. So not only you going through the toxic relationships, so are your kids. So I always say it's best to get out early versus later and have your kids suffering. And this is the same. If this is her father, you bring a toxic boyfriend into the house. So, I mean, if that guy's toxic, get rid of him. You know, the, the world's abundant. There's always somebody new to love, but you know, you have to really be careful that you are not modeling that this is what love looks like to your children. Sure. And you know, what happens to a lot of relationships, the toxic one becomes so toxic that it invokes so much anger in the emotionally healthy one because he's looking for an argument and then the emotionally healthy one gets involved in the toxic behaviors. Eventually the emotionally healthy one usually says, I can't stand it and leaves. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would usually, these relationships don't get better. They usually get worse. Um, on my free love tests on my website, rihannamilne.com is one called the red flag warning checklist where there's 36 signs of an unhealthy relationship. So if you're questioning is the relationship you're in healthy, go take that one. It's also there with the childhood trauma checklist, the top 10 that I see the childhood trauma list that I created. Um, There is a test for singles to see if you're ready to be dating or if there's more in your life that you need to do to become a successful single first. And um, the other one is called ACOA. It's a checklist from um, Sylvia Kay and Ronnie Fisher that they were developed and I tweaked it a little bit. I took out the headings. But that one is also a telltale sign if you're struggling in life and relationships due to past trauma. So those four are very enlightening and and they are for free and you'll get a copy of your test once you take them. So um, that is good for people to check out. Very cool. I like it. You have a beautiful website, by the way. Oh, thank you. You're very welcome. To be totally remodeled. (laughs) <laughs> oh, really yes <laughs> hey teachers up um thank so, you so uh are there any questions that i haven't asked that that you think are super important and we should cover 
Um, I can give you a couple of tips that I give my people. One is called um, the five choices that leads to wise decisions. Um, that one is super important for people that tend to be impulsive. And Harrison, you said that you can be. So here it's use it on one hand. And if, you know, if you don't get the answers, it's like, stop. You know, it's like, here you go. So the question before you say or act or even write a text is, will this hurt me in any way? Mm -hmm. Will it hurt the person I love? Will it hurt my children or my extended family? Will it hurt my reputation on the job or in the community? And is it for the best of all or for the good of all? That's the spiritual question. And if in doubt, go without doing it. Give yourself more time to think through that choice or that decision before you act on it. And my clients who are impulsive, like need to learn those and kind of live by those to make wiser and more sound decisions that aren't going to hurt anybody. Sure. So that's really important. And then I often talk about the seven D's for success. And this is my mindset for success um, that I teach my clients. Um, the five D's is a lesson from my dad. He said, "Hun, if you have the five D's, you can do anything. And I added two more, one to the front end and one to the back end of the list. So the first one I added was decide. And I have found that when I make a decision that I'm going to do something, I want to live up to that decision. Sure. I want to meet that challenge. So mm -hmm. The first thing is really concretely and make a very solid decision, I'm going to do something. That's number one. Then the five in between is um, desire, determination, dedication, devotion, which is in a spiritual way, have faith you can do it, mm -hmm. and dare to dream. My dad said, dream big, dare to dream. I like and it. the last one I added was drive because, or some people call it the grind, <laughs> because even though you're doing something you love, sometimes you're involved in a mega project with that, which I have done going from a local psychotherapy practice to a global coaching practice. And it took me tons of hours, you know, just building my online school, my life and love training academy.com to make a whole made class takes a lot of time you know, 12, 14 hour days for three months straight. And that's what I would call the grind, the keeping my eye on that decision that I decide I'm going to have online training classes, you know, yeah. which will be good for my people that want that level of service. And um, so the seven D's for success will really help you to get in and complete the project of your dreams. Um, goal setting is very important. Um, whenever I do a big project like writing my love beyond your dreams book, that's over 400 pages. I decided I'm going to write a book on love. There was, I was teaching and I needed to get it in book format. And I was in New Jersey and about to move to Florida. And I said, this must be done before I move because I don't want to be halfway in a project and then setting up an apartment and setting up a new practice. The book would just be put to the side. Sure. So I decided it was going to be done in six months from consent to cover. And wow. I was done it and I set it into the editor and you have to have five test readers and about 18 rounds of editing. And I was moving to Florida. I was like, oh, darn, the book did not get to me. 
before I moved. And don't I show up at my new town home in Florida and against the door is the book. So I just picked it up and I danced around. It's like, I did it. You know, oh my God, I got the incredible. book before I walked in the door of Florida, you know, that's so there crazy. was my sample book and I reached my goal and that was really, really cool. So those are the successes you remember in life when you decide you're going to do something, set the goal, reach it. It really builds your confidence, your self-esteem, uh, your ability to take on more projects. Um, but the mindset for success is a belief system, you know, and meditation is definitely based in science. There's a thing, you know, is meditation, what do you do? Just sit and breathe. Why is that so important? Well, the science shows it definitely increases um, the dopamine and serotonin levels of your brain, which are your happy chemicals. Sure. And at the same time, reduces anxiety, depression, cortisol level, which is your flight or fight, and your blood pressure. So, you know, it moves the bad stuff from your brain and body cells. It increases the good stuff. Sure. And all you need is 15 minutes a day. I and agree. It's proven in science. I agree. So- you know, definitely what you think about will come about. And when you have the mindset for success, you can reach all kinds of goals and dreams. So that's why I teach it. I see amazing transformations from my clients. I love it. I love it. So uh, <laughs> as we're wrapping this thing up, tell people, uh, you know, sum it up if you want and tell people how they can find you and all that kind of stuff. Sure. I just want to say to everyone, now's the time with the new year coming and the holidays, you know, to really not wait to create that life that you desire and to have the love you deserve. So reach out to me if you're struggling in any way at my website, rihannamilne.com. Sign up for the Life and Love Transformation Discovery Session. Take the four free love tests, download the free book chapters. And while you're at it, you know, listen to my podcast, Lessons in Life and Love, and download the free app. It's Lessons in Life and Love on the go. And you can see my YouTube channel there and my podcast. Um, also I have that free ebook. Um, it's at have the love you deserve.com and that ebook goes deeper into the childhood trauma, um, situation. It will explain to you a little bit deeper about that concept. So that's again, have the love you deserve.com. Cool. Awesome. Thanks for sharing all that. I appreciate it. I got quite a good lesson in this. Good, Harrison. I'm glad to hear you learned something new. But you knew about the, the seven sex centers of the brain. But that, that was pretty good. Most people Most don't realize I might that. be smarter than I look sometimes. <laughs> Not always. Good for you. Sometimes. So thank you so <laughs> much for, for coming you. to hang out with me. You'll have I to really come back on again. I'm, I'm looking forward to it again. And uh, hopefully sure, next time we do this, it. it'll be in person. I'll be down in Florida soon. Oh, very cool. That would be great. So. All righty. Give me a buzz. You know I absolutely will. I absolutely will. <laughs> All right. Rihanna, thank you so much for hanging out. And uh, enjoy the, uh, I don't know if it's nice in Florida, but today it happens it to be quite nice on Long Island. So I'm going to go enjoy Good. some of the weather. Okay. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thanks for hanging out. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Brutally Honest Podcast. I appreciate you guys oh so much. I really do. Um, without you guys, I, I definitely wouldn't be where I'm at today. 
uh, and amongst many other things. Uh, and, and it's you guys pushing me and bringing on new guests and holding me accountable, which makes for the ultimate best show possible. Uh, but like I said, do me a favor in the beginning. Go on, let me know what you guys think about the Zoom call, uh, because I am going to be doing more of these in the future. Just so we, you know, I'm, I'm experimenting, I'm testing it out. Every guest knows this. Um, but I'm, I'm, my goal is to really add as much value as possible to you guys. And I think that this might be uh, what I'm going to do, not forever, but for segments uh, in the future. So that way you guys uh, get to experience some new things and stuff like that. And other than that, uh, as always, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button, uh, hit the like button, share it out with somebody. I do greatly appreciate it uh, because uh, it's you guys constantly who are the ones helping push me in the right direction, give me the right guidance and all that kind of stuff. So thank you guys so much for that. I will see you guys on the next podcast. I have a bunch lined up already, so I'm super excited to dive into those. Um, and I apologize that this one took so long. I ran into some audio issues uh, getting it posted in, in, in the post-production. So otherwise, I love you guys. I'll see you guys later. Have a if – if you don't listen to any more podcasts – after this, have a great, happy, and safe holiday. Till then, peace.